Last words. There is something important about them, isn't there? They seem to hold more weight than all of your other words. And when time is running out, each word has to be chosen carefully. We want our last words to matter because our last words end up lasting longer than we do. Today is the last message in the Come As You Are message series that we've been doing. And each week for the past month and a bit, we have been inviting you to come and to be part of this community. We have been reminding you that no matter what you've done, no matter where you've come from, uh, no matter who you have been, Jesus has invited you to a life-altering relationship with your Creator. And we have been showing you that the path towards the ideal life God has for you is full of ups and downs. And today will be the last words of the Come As You Are series, and I think there is something important about them. You're here. You've come. Now what? And today we're going to look at one of the last commandments that Jesus gave to his disciples. Some of his last words before he was arrested and led up a hill to be killed. Jesus began his work, uh, his ministry, when he was my age, which is a little bit intimidating uh, for me in my career. But he started traveling and teaching and gathering a group of followers. He inspired men like Peter, who was a simple fisherman, a blue-collar guy, and Matthew, who was an outcast and a tax collector. Uh, He inspired these guys to follow them. And 12 of them made up this group of disciples that went with Jesus wherever he went. And for three years, they traveled together, they ate together, and they lived together. They fought and argued together. They celebrated and laughed together. And they hurt together. And they supported each other. They had the sort of relationships that were forged in fire. They were a band of brothers. And they followed Jesus, and they respected him, and they fully expected him to lead them out of Roman oppression, all of their people, into victory against those who persecuted him. They held Jesus in the highest regard. He was their leader, and he was their rabbi. But Jesus knew something that his disciples did not know. And Jesus knew that just as Moses had lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. He knew that he had to give his life for the wholeness of humanity. And the night that Jesus would be arrested and taken away from them, he found himself surrounded by the people he was closest to, this motley crew of disciples. And like so many times before, they sat around a table and they shared a meal together. And I imagine it, the smell of a burning fire lingered on the air and there was an electric energy because just days before they had entered the city of Jerusalem and people were cheering and crying out Hosanna and putting down jackets and palm branches to, so their feet wouldn't have to touch the ground. They were rock stars. The mood was high. I like to imagine the disciples sitting there, eating together, swapping war stories. Hey, you guys remember when we fed all those people with just a couple of loaves of bread and a couple of fish? Yeah, that that was crazy. Remember when uh, Jesus turned water into wine? I could really go for a glass of that right now. 
Remember when Peter almost sunk to the bottom of the Sea of Galilee when he was trying to walk on water? What a doofus. I really like the thought of the disciples busting Peter's chops for sinking when he was walking on water. I know that's what I would do if I was there. But Jesus sits there, quietly listening to his friends. Because Jesus knows that everything is about to change. He knows that the hour has come for him to leave this world. That time was running out and he would have to choose each word carefully. And having loved his own who were in the world, he would love them to the very end. So, Jesus gets up, takes off his shirt, wraps a towel around his waist, and the room falls deathly silent. The laughing stops, and Jesus begins to slowly fill a bowl with water. And then he bends down onto his knees, putting his knees into the dusty floor. And the disciples begin to look confused and look at each other. What's going on? And Jesus dips a clean cloth into the water and one by one begins to wash the feet of his followers. In a time when the strongest took advantage of the weakest, when the rich bullied the poor, when the powerful used and abused the frail, Jesus was flipping everything upside down. And Peter began to feel so uncomfortable with what Jesus was doing. And Jesus is his rabbi. Jesus is his leader. And this is not how things are supposed to go. And so Peter refuses to let Jesus wash his feet. Jesus, this is wrong. You're too important. You're too great. I will never let you lower yourself this way. I will never let you wash my feet. But Jesus convinces him. And the creator of the universe continues to wash the dust off the feet of the men who followed him. You have to sense the energy in the room has changed. The war stories have stopped. The conversations have ended. Jesus has their full attention now. Jesus gets back up to his feet. He cleans himself off. And he begins to tell him them his heavy news. John, Peter, Matthew, I will only be with you a little while longer. This is the end of the road. I have to leave you now. And where I am going, you cannot come. Jesus pauses. His next words are so important. What he is about to tell them is going to change everything. These last words have to last. A new command I give you. Love one another. Love one another. Now, these words don't really seem like a new command. It's hardly an earth-shattering idea. I mean, Jesus had previously been asked by Pharisees what the greatest commandment was. And Jesus told them the greatest commandment, this, this was years prior, he said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. So it's already kind of out there that we're supposed to love each other. This doesn't feel new. My kids will tell you that being a kid is a lot harder than it looks. 
they're constantly reminding me about this. They tell me they have so many things to do that they can hardly remember them all. That it's really easy to miss things. Like that when you have a shower, you have to use soap. It's hard to remember for them. That when you get dressed, you actually have to put socks on too. That's part of getting dressed. That if you want to do your homework, you actually have to bring it home from school. That last one, I think they might know that they're forgetting on purpose, but I get it. Being a kid is hard, and there's so much to remember for them. And so this is what we do in our house. We tell our kids that when it comes time for parent-teacher interviews, we, we know they're not going to have perfect grades. I, I know my kids. We know they aren't going to have a perfect attendance record. We know that there's going to be things their teacher asks us to work on. But the one thing that matters most the one thing we want to hear their teachers say is that they are kind. That they are kind to their classmates, to their teachers, and to the sports staff at the school. And if the teacher tells us that our kids are kind, then we'll take them to the corner store and they can get a treat. There's a lot for our kids to remember. And so what we do is we simplify the most important thing for them so they don't forget. And I think that's what Jesus is doing here. I think that maybe he's beginning to consider that two commandments was still too many for us to remember. That when he's gone, we're going to have a hard time not forgetting two commandments. That we will be overwhelmed. So he boils it down into one simple idea. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. When he was the greatest, Jesus kneeled at the feet of the least. When he was the cleanest, he washed the feet of the dirtiest. And when he had all the power in the universe, he used it to build one another up. Jesus is saying, I'm going away. In only a few hours, I'm going to be betrayed and arrested. In the night, I'm going to be beaten and bruised. Tomorrow, I will be mocked and whipped by simple men. I will be led up a hill and nailed to a tree. I am going to be gone. But you will still be here. You will still be alive. So love one another as I have loved you. In my absence... Show people what it means to love like me. And when I'm gone, continue to show the world the way that I showed you to live. This idea is really what church is all about. The church's chief task, what this building is for, the bricks and mortar, why we preach, why we give, why the church even exists, is to be for the world today, in this day and age, with the physical, living, breathing Christ was to it back then. Ben Elliott put it this way. I love this. The church is the way God himself reaches out in love to the world in a way that he can be touched and felt and experienced. Jesus is no longer walking the streets of this world in a literal sense. But the church, us, and the other churches of Fort McMurray, and the Christians meeting in living rooms in China, and all across the globe, are the living, breathing, physical expression of Jesus in the world today. And as he has loved us, 
so we must love one another. It's a new command because Jesus showed us what perfect love looked like and is now saying, do the things that I have done. A new command I give you. Love one another. There are two words in there that I think communicate something significant. One another. You can't have one another without another. We are not in this alone. We are not to be lone wolves surviving this world in isolation. It is not good for us to be alone. You can't have one another without another. We are together in a movement of love, and this church is the community in the way we, the way we express it. And sometimes being part of a community has adverse side effects, uh, like when our, we let our friend Glenn Bradley uh, help us decide what we were going to name our cat, and he convinced our kids to name our cat Peanut Butter and Jam Sandwich. Now, I don't know if you ever had to call the vet and make an appointment for a cat named Peanut Butter and Jam Sandwich, but it is embarrassing. Thanks, Glenn. Or like when your friend calls you and asks you to help them move, and they live on the top floor of a condo, and the elevator's broken. Yeah, community sucks when that stuff happens. But let me tell you this. Being part of this place, being part of this community, has made me better. I have experienced so much love and kindness here. And when you become part of a church that is committed to loving one another the way Jesus loved, you will never be the same. When life falls apart, someone's there to help you put it back together. When you win, somebody's there to celebrate it with you. When you go off the rails, somebody's there to help you find your way back again. We are better together. Jesus gave those disciples uh, a command to love one another, and after he was gone, they told everybody about it. And we know this because over and over again, the writers of the New Testament found creative ways to issue one another challenges. Compiled in the New Testament are accounts and letters and stories that were uh, written by many different authors the years after Jesus, um, after he died, and they are full of one another lines. The early Jesus followers wrote about how we are to love one another and what it practically looks like to love one another. So here's just a few examples. There's a whole bunch. Let's go through them. Paul tells us that to love each other means to honor one another. That he tells us uh, to love each other means to accept one another. We are told to bear with one another. You have a really annoying person at work or friend that really gets under your nerves. We're told love means bearing with that person. Oh, this one's hard. Love means to forgive one another. That is tough. James, the brother of Jesus, told us that we are to pray for one another, that we are to encourage one another, to warn one another when we see each other doing something that we know is going to end up hurting them. To stop gossiping about one another. To not be fake with one another. I don't know if uh, uh, the, oh wow, that just left my mind. I was going to say your profile photo, the filters. I don't know if that's fake or not. I don't know if he's referring to the fake filters or not. But don't be fake with one another. He says we're supposed to carry one another. Luke tells us that we're supposed to share one another's possessions. And finally, Paul tells us that loving one another means that we're 
to submit to one another. None of that stuff is easy. But this is what it looks like to love one another the way Jesus commanded us to. It's down on our knees in the dust serving one another. It's foregoing yourself what's right for you, what you want, what you feel good about for the sake of somebody else. It's about living day in and day out, treating people the way Jesus treated us. Jesus once said, uh, greater love has no man than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And he wasn't wrong. I'm not going to argue with Jesus. This is a concept I became familiar with with my years as a firefighter. Every day you put on your uniform, you put on your boots, you walk out the door, knowing that today could be the day that you risk your life for another person. It was a few years into that career that God suddenly convicted my heart about this pride and bravado I had developed. Sure, maybe I was willing to die for somebody, but was I willing to live for them? Was I willing to give my life in service to others? Was I willing to give my life in submission to one another? Jesus didn't just die for us. He lived for us. A life worthy of sacrifice. A life of love. Now, our church, Fort City, is carried by a team of volunteers who understand this. Who understand that loving one another looks a lot like serving one another. It looks like our group leaders, people like Dean and Brune who were up here earlier, opening up their homes, giving of their time and their hearts to help people grow in their faith. It looks like our connection team, people who arrive here way before you do, uh, people like Peggy and Tana showing up early to make sure that when we show up, church is ready for us. It looks like our worship team, people like Murray and Scott, who before many of us are even awake on a Sunday, are here unlocking the doors, turning the lights on, and getting things ready for worship. Looks like our youth leaders, people like Dulcie and Jeff, who are here every Tuesday giving their time uh, to develop students' understanding of what it means to have faith. And, and it especially looks like our Kids City team, people like Erica and Tanae, who each week are investing in the future of the church by equipping our children with what they need to become powerful men and women of God. They lead our kids in spirit-led prayer. They lead our kids in joy-filled worship. And they guide them through developing a foundation of faith. The work that they do in Kid City is just so incredibly important. Each one of these people serving us are showing us what it means to live and to look like Jesus. They have embraced the one another challenges and are living them out. This last week, I chaperoned Justice's class on a ski day out to Vista Ridge. And uh, I'm not sure if you've ever skied during a polar vortex before. It is terrible. It is very, very cold. Um, aside from the cold, it was a lot of fun out there. Um, Justice is an okay skier, uh, but one of the things that he was doing was every time he fell, uh, it became this big ordeal because he'd have to take his skis off, 
to get up again. Uh, it was a really big struggle for him. And me being like the impatient dad, I kept saying, no, you don't have to take your skis off. Okay, just lean over and you'll be able to stand up. It's taking forever. Every time you fall, I, you're, you're, killing, you're killing ski time. Come on, you could just, just get up, just get up, just get up. And I kept just saying, get up, get up. And he said, dad, I, I can't, I don't know what, I don't even know what you're saying. It doesn't work. And I was like, finally, I said to him, like this. And I fell over. And I couldn't get up. <laughs> like struggle. And it didn't work. And so I had to take my skis off. <laughs> Today I feel like I've been saying the same thing to you over and over again. Love one another. Love one another. I've said it 50 times already. And I don't want you to leave here today trying to figure out what the heck love one another means. How do you even start to love one another? And so I'm going to give you some straightforward, practical steps that you can take today to begin loving one another in a new way. And these are just a few examples. There's lots. That list of verses we had up there earlier, we're going to post that on Facebook if you guys want to share it or look at it. You want to see how to love one another. Uh, those are great examples. But I'm going to give you three. One, you can join a team. You can give your time and talents towards helping other people encounter Jesus through our Sunday services. You can love one another by serving one another. For many people... Our Sunday service uh, is often their first encounter with the story of Jesus. Our Sunday service uh, teams, um, the goal of each team is to help craft an environment where that encounter with the story of Jesus can happen. All the teams are looking to add members, but where we could use your help the most is in Kid City. Our kids are so important. That child dedication today was so aligns so well with our values. Our kids are important. And like I told you, we those churches in Toronto, they have a lucky 10 to 20% kids. We have 25 to 30. It's a great problem that we love having. But we could use your help because our kids are important. So please consider joining a team. It's a way that you can serve and grow your faith through service. The second thing you can do, we've talked about it already today, is join a community group. Community groups are really one of the best places where we can learn and look and lo learn to love and look like Jesus. They happen outside of our Sunday morning services, and some of them meet at the church here in the evenings during the week, and uh, like Dean and Bruins, it meets in their home on Mondays. But we can't love one another without another. We need another. We can't do this alone. The third thing you can do is invite someone to join you here on a Sunday so they can see what this place, what this community is all about. The truth is that the church can post all we want on Facebook and Instagram and we can send out emails and flyers, but the best chance for a person to actually show up here on a Sunday and experience something they've never experienced before is for you and me to personally invite them. We know something valuable. That Jesus invites us into abundant life, life to the full. And when we welcome people to hear that in our church, we could be setting them down a life-altering path. 
Here's the thing. When we begin to follow that new command, when we love each other the way Jesus loved us, the world will take notice. Jesus said, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Jesus knew that if we could only get this one thing right, if we can just nail this one thing then people would see it and want to be a part of it. If we could just follow this one command, that's, that's it. That's the only thing everyone would know that we are Christians. How we treat each other is the most significant way that we can show people that we follow Jesus. Not how much we pray, not how much we read our Bibles, not by our fantastic band or inspired preaching, not through sharing posts on social media, not by giving my more money or through sacrifice, but by loving one another. And we, when we get this wrong, when the church fails to make the presence of God real to the people around us, we begin to fail to truly be the church. When we don't love one another, then we don't look anything like Jesus. But when we get this right, when we love one another, we become the true church of Jesus. When we get this right, we become the way the world gets to see, touch, and experience Jesus himself. Love one another. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, uh, I just come before you this morning, set aside a moment to pray and to thank you for this service that we've been able to have, to thank you for the chance to worship you together in this community. Thank you uh, that our kids are upstairs learning about you and growing in faith, that our junior youth are out in the modular discovering what it means to uh, have faith themselves in an ever-changing, crazy world. And Father God, I pray that today, you would be growing something deep inside of each one of us. That there would be a renewed challenge, a renewed commitment to the command to love one another. That we would leave this place today challenged to treat each other differently. Challenged to treat those that we don't know differently. Challenged to be the walking, breathing, living able to experience life of Jesus in this world. And that people would see the love that we share for each other and they would know we are Christians by our love. Jesus, thank you for this time together. Make us more like you. Pray this in your holiest of names. Amen.